the New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everybody. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And there was a lot happening in New Jersey politics this week. Uh, The new legislature was sworn in on Tuesday and a new Senate president, Nicholas Scutari, took office. That ends the 12 year era of Steve Sweeney. And and folks, that is a big deal. And on Tuesday, Governor Phil Murphy will be sworn into a second term. Uh, He is the first Democrat to win re-election in New Jersey in 44 years. I mean, as blue as New Jersey is, as Democratic as New Jersey is, more than a million more Democrats than Republicans. But New Jersey historically has preferred a Republican governor. I mean, they almost they almost got one. But I'll add something new about to the mix about Governor Murphy. He is the first governor to win a second term without facing a Democratic primary in 64 years. So this is this is indeed historic. I will be joined today by Governor Phil Murphy. This is his only radio interview as he prepares for his second inaugural address. I'm going to ask him about his plans for the next four years. So, so please don't miss anything. Uh, you're, you're not going to want to miss anything of what he has to say. And after that, I'll be joined by Republican State Senator John Bramnick. He was sworn into the Senate this week after spending 18 years in the State Assembly, and the last 10 of them as the minority leader. Senator Bramnick, and he's been on this show multiple times, he approaches government through a belief that people ought to act more civilly toward each other. Uh, and since he has been voted... Uh, many times the funniest lawyer in New Jersey. It is it is always a pleasure to have him on. Uh, just to refresh everybody's recollection, New Jersey has the most constitutionally powerful governor in the nation. And anyone who holds the office, Democrat or Republican, is enormously influential, enormously powerful. Uh, but as a second-termer who has already survived Governor 101 and has has sort of figured out how to navigate their constitutional powers. And and as someone who who might never have to face the voters again, New Jersey limits its governors to eight years. So so term number two is important for Phil Murphy. And maybe maybe not. Uh, there'll be some concern about his legacy. I mean, we'll see. I'm going to ask him about how how he views that. Uh, swearing in ceremonies and inaugurations, they mark the end of last year's election, unless you live in Oldbridge, where 2021 won't be over until at least April of 2022. And that's because a judge has ruled that the state's voter registration database was flawed, and that caused uh, that caused a huge mess. Now, now get this. Last November... A Democrat unseated a Republican incumbent by 11 votes in Oldbridge. But the judge, his name is Thomas Daniel McCloskey, he found that the statewide voter registration system was to blame for 27 voters getting the wrong ballots. That effectively disenfranchised these people from voting. And and this part is amazing. Since, since the election was only decided by 11 and there were 27 people who didn't get the right ballot, uh, Judge McCloskey ordered a do-over election on March 22nd. 
And, and this judge, by the way, Judge Thomas Daniel McCloskey, this judge gets it. He has moved the election challenges along at a, a record speed. I've been watching this a long time. I haven't seen a judge move this closely in a while. And that's that's especially commendable since this council seat is just going to sit empty waiting for the results of a do-over. This is how the court should do things, everybody. Uh, Elections ought not get caught up in this bureaucracy of a judicial system. And and let me remind you, uh, an election that ended in a tie-in, now get this, at November 2020, we're now in 2022, in November 2020, this election in South Toms River ended in a tie, and they won't actually have a do-over election until March of 2022. It's coming up uh, in, in two months. And, and a tie vote uh, and a bunch of judges taking their time without any apparent sense of urgency and a, a couple of politicians that were maybe, I don't know, a little too frightened of this thing that we call elections. Uh, it's led to a council seat sitting empty for more than a year. I, I don't think that's acceptable. My guess is none of you think that that's a good idea. So Kudos to Judge Thomas Daniel McCluskey for putting his responsibilities as a jurist ahead of some of the holidays and uh, that he was he was hoping to get some time off and and get this done. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. And now I don't always have praise for for New Jersey judges, because what's happened with congressional redistricting continues to offend a lot of people. Uh, to be clear, I'm not I'm not going to take sides. That's not my job. Uh, I wasn't rooting for a Democratic map or a Republican map, but but I was hoping that the process would have been carried out with greater thought and with more integrity than it was. And and whatever the outcome, congressional redistricting appears right now to be a blemish on the state of New Jersey. Uh, The tiebreaker selected by the courts, a 79-year-old former Supreme Court justice named John Wallace, well, he really screwed this one up. Three days before Christmas, uh, after four whole days of meetings with Democrats and Republicans, I mean, and Justice Wallace worked some nights, some nights he was there till like 4.45, 5 o'clock. Uh, he met with Democrats and Republicans separately, uh, and Wallace decides to break a tie. Uh, and to be clear, there wasn't really a tie because there hadn't actually been a vote. There was no negotiating sessions be- between the two parties. So Wallace decides he's going to pick a map that was clearly uh, more advantageous to Democrats than Republicans, ex- maybe except for all but one Democratic incumbent. Uh, So Wallace goes into a public meeting and he gives an explanation that is mind-boggling and we're we're, going to play a clip for you. It's the same clip I've played for the last three weeks, and I think I'm just going to keep on playing it and playing it and playing it until people people see it. So let's play the clip of of Justice Wallace's explanation. In summary, both delegations aptly applied our standards to their map. In the end, I decided to vote for the Democratic map simply because in the last redistricting map, was drawn, it was drawn by the Republicans. Thus, I conclude that fairness dictates that the Democrats had the opportunity to have their map used for this next redistricting cycle. It's unbelievable. I mean, this is a former Supreme Court justice. and It's not a parent saying, uh, 
you got to ride shotgun on the way there, so I'll let your brother sit in the front seat on the way home. I mean, this is a ridiculous way to break a tie. And apparently, even the chief justice of the New Jersey Supreme Court agreed with that because he ordered Wallace, his former colleague, to amplify his reasons. Now, isn't that nice that a former justice basically gets to throw up his tapioca pudding all over his shirt in public and the state's top, top court says, let's, let's give the guy a do-over. Let's give him a chance to amplify what his reasons are. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, uh, everybody. I mean, I don't think that those are the same rules the Supreme Court would apply to you and me. I, I especially would like a, uh, to have done a do-over here and there in my life, a chance to maybe walk back something that I said and is as the judges say, amplify my positions. I think we all would. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm talking about congressional redistricting on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour, Talk Radio 77 WABC. And so on Tuesday, Justice Wallace came back with his amplification, uh, his ability to use that little time travel machine that the courts gave him, where suddenly the, the, the vomited tapioca was no longer seen drooling down his face. And I'm going to read to you what Justice Wallace said in his do-over. Simply put, I should have stated the Democrats' map better satisfied the standards for partisan fairness. I mean, for me at least, that wasn't, wasn't much of an amplification as it was an oh, by the way, uh, here's another couple lines as to why I did this. I mean, personally, I would have preferred, I'm a numbers guy, I like data, and I would have preferred a treatise that, that compared the two maps, that went district by district, exhaustively detailing why one was better than the other. Uh, Justice Wallace's amplification represented probably, in my view, the least amount of work he could possibly do to maybe satisfy the Supreme Court and and probably, I think, spare them the embarrassment of having to uh, reject Justice Wallace's work. I mean, John Wallace was a, and, and I've said this before, I think I'm going to keep on saying it too, he's, he was a bad fit for this job. He doesn't know New Jersey geography. He doesn't understand politics. He apparently, from what I'm told from both parties, struggles with a computer. And and what's worse, at least as I see it, is is that he was in such a rush to finish the new map before Christmas. And God forbid congressional elections for the next decade should get in the way of this man's vacation. But he missed things. And and I will uh, I'm going to talk in the future about things that he missed. Uh, but but to paraphrase Casablanca, I'm shocked to find out there's gerrymandering going on here. So coming up next is the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy. He will be inaugurated on Tuesday for his second term. So please don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to miss what the governor has to say. And then after that, I'll speak with John Bramnick, former assembly minority leader, and now as of last Tuesday, a Republican state senator. This is David Wildstein. I am the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Phil Murphy will be sworn in on Tuesday for a second term as the governor of New Jersey. Uh, he is the first Democratic governor to win re-election in ni- since 1977. Governor, welcome. 
Nice to be with you, David. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And, and this has got to be an exciting time for, for you and the entire Murphy family. I mean, inaugurations are a, a big deal, and, and you're going to join this very exclusive club in New Jersey, two-term yeah. governors. It's very humbling, and it is, it is very exciting, although I have for all of us uh, in the family, but I have to say it's tempered by the fact we're living in really challenging times right now, particularly the, the pandemic, but we're going to do our best to do it right and uh, and savor the moment. And again, I'm honored to to get the opportunity to go at it again for another four years and to have made a little bit of history. And, and this is this is not the festive celebration that that a lot of governors get. This one is this one's different. Yeah, it is different. Uh, there's no question about it. Largely due to the pandemic. In fact, we we will not. You'd normally have a big as we did our first inauguration. Have a big uh, uh, party ball the, the night of the inauguration with opted to not do that. God willing, we'll do something in warmer weather uh, when this thing is hopefully behind us. And, and something, Governor, that the two-term governors get to do is they deliver a, a state-of-the-state address one week and then an inaugural address seven days later. And, and, and by the way, I think your your speechwriter, Derek Roseman, is earning his paycheck this month. But He sure is. But, he sure so, is. We're seeing a lot of each other. I'm sure you, I'm, I'm confident of that. And, and you, last week you spoke about your first term accomplishments. Uh, and it's okay if you want to if, if you want to mention some of them. But but what can New Jerseyans expect to hear from you in your inaugural address? Yeah, I, I think, by the way, and David, I'd be curious as to your opinion on this. I think the state of the state sort of is is more of a granular. This is where we've been. This is where we're we're going. The budget address, which is in another six weeks, sort of puts numbers to that. I think the inaugural address, you, you all should expect it to be sort of more thematic. Um, and and, uh, and and I'm looking forward to delivering it. And we're you know crossing T's and dotting I's as we as we speak. I think you're going to see a range of things. We're not going to be anybody different. I think the notion that it's a second term. Um, if you will, is an artificial one. You have to win the election to get to get that second term. But I don't I don't think you're going to see us start to behave in any meaningful way that's different from the first term. You know, we've stood for that stronger, fairer, forward notion from day one. But you'll you'll see us continuing to ramp up the school funding formula, continuing to make the full pension payment, uh, continuing to head toward universal pre-K over a period of years. God knows in the pandemic, continue to vaccinate, uh, especially the kids and get people boosted. You know, I'm, I'm committed to things like closing Ed Mahan prison, um, same day voter registration, get getting the wind in, offshore wind industry fully up, the cannabis industry on its feet, the Getting the gun safety packages, the sort of next generation of those um, to come a reality. Cannabis, if I didn't mention that already. And so there's a there's a lot. I, I think the first term has, has, was a lot of architecturing, a lot of laws being signed, a lot of executive orders being signed, rules getting promulgated, and some fruit being born from all that. I think you'll see in the second term probably less of the architecturing and, God willing, a lot more fruit being born from it. Those are some quick thoughts. And I'm speaking with New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. Governor, I mean, one of the things about a second term is, is you've got to live uh, under under some of the effects of things that you did in the first term. It's it's things decisions that you made. You know, will it's it's harder to blame the the predecessor in the past, isn't it? Yeah. Well, listen, I I think that's right, and we don't play politics for the sake of politics. We we want to remind folks what the state looked like when we got here. 
I'll give you an example. Uh, I mentioned this in the State of the State address, and this is a pretty – it gives you – you sort of step back and, and remind yourself. Minimum wage, uh, the day I put my hand on the Bible, was $8.65 an hour. Today it's $13. And that, that's a huge difference in literally hundreds of thousands of families in the state, and that's going to $15. Um, you know, we were 47th in the nation in economic growth four years ago. We're now fourth. And there's a lot of progress. And so I don't say that just to – sort of um, take political shots, but I want to make sure folks re- remember the, uh, remember the journeys that we're on, where we were, how far we've come. And by the way, nobody's spiking any footballs. We still have a long way to go on things like affordability, property tax challenges. And I mentioned some of the other ones we're dealing with, and we'll continue at it. And you signed this week a, a, a bill that would codify uh, elements of Roe v. Wade into state law in the event that the U.S. Supreme Court uh, uh, overturns it. It, it, it. A lot of people say there's a lot more work to be done on that issue, that this was a this was sort of a, a watered-down view of what you wanted to do in the first place. Yeah, well, I, I would say it a little bit differently. I, I would agree with you. I, I mentioned this in my remarks uh, when I signed the bill uh, this week, that, folks, let's view this as, uh, on, as an ongoing, as a work in progress. This is a big step, uh, but it, we're not done but I have to, having said that, it is a big step, uh, and and I think we have to, you know, acknowledge that protecting women's complete reproductive freedom, making it the, a decision between a woman and her doctor. Period. That that's now not just relying on case law in New Jersey. That's now relying on a law that I've signed. And that, that that to me is still a big deal. And I mean, Governor, your your reelection campaign was was closer than the polls predicted. What what were your lessons learned from that last election? What how does how does that impact uh, your your governing over the next four years? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I first reaction is um, if we hadn't put the policies in place that we did, if we hadn't built the coalition that we built, I think we could have gotten washed away as well. So. I don't think it changes, uh, as I mentioned earlier, what we believe in or what we're going to do. But I do think it is a reminder that there are a whole lot more kitchen tables in whose discussion that over dinner we need to make sure that uh, that we have some presence that government reminding folks of what we're doing, uh, that government is a force for good. Um, I'm going to mention on Tuesday that we're doing all we have from moment one, but we're going to continue to do a lot of listening because there are people out there who are are, are screaming out for help. And I want to make sure that that uh, we connect with as many of those folks as possible and and God willing, change their lives for the good. Yeah, I mean, name ID is a double edged sword, right? The more people that know who you are, you have uh, uh, not everybody's going to agree with you. Yeah, listen, here's a, a couple of math observations. We got more votes than we got four years ago, which is not always the case in a re-election. We got as many votes as we expected to get this this time. But the other side had a lot lot of people who showed up that didn't show up four years ago. And I'm, I got to be the governor for folks, whether they voted for me or not. And that is a commitment I make. And, and I'm speaking with Governor Phil Murphy. New Jersey saw, I mean, I think it's fair to say a seismic shift in state government this week with, with the departure of Steve Sweeney as Senate yeah. president. And yeah. I mean, you two didn't always see the eye to the eye. But at the end of the day, 
he he helped you pass your first term agenda, and and we we know we know his legislative district was 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 not a place that you you carried. Do you feel any responsibility for his defeat? No, I think. Listen, I I think we were in it together, and and and, and I think the first year, I think I'd, if he were sitting right beside me, and I, I suspect he'd agree, we had to find our way into a, a good working relationship. Well, but we did, and, and I include Speaker Craig Coughlin on that, and we got a lot done together over the past, let's say, in particular, two and a half years, uh, and it's a loss. Listen, Nick Scuteri is going to be an outstanding Senate president. He's already shown in his first few days this week he's showing that. But Steve uh, should be proud of, of of his legacy and and of his record of accomplishment, uh, especially the, the record I know, the one we worked on together. And I, I take him on his word. You know him well. Uh, when he says you've, you've not heard the last from me, I suspect that's probably right. So I, I wish I, him nothing I, but the best. I think it is. And, and look, I, I think Senator Scatari is not going to be a pushover either. I think he's got a, he's been around 18 uh, years. He's outstanding. And we know him well. He's the chair of the, was the chair of the Judiciary Committee. He's the Union County Democratic Party chair, as you know outstanding senator, outstanding lawyer. He, he's the guy who's, who got me uh, to support adult use cannabis on the basis of social justice, um, and I give him all, most of the credit for that. And you've got, Governor, a, a much more conservative, vocal Republican minority now in the legislature. How, how will that affect how you govern? Yeah, we'll see. We reach out. I've reached out to each and every one of the new senators and uh, and and members of the assembly, and uh, I've committed to them that wherever we can find common ground to make New Jersey better, we're going to do just that. Um, and listen, it, it it is what it is. We've had a, as I mentioned, we've had a good constructive relationship with the legislature, especially over the past two and a half years. And by the way, that goes not just for Steve and Craig, but also with John Bramnick and uh, Tom Kane, and now it'll be Steve Orojo and John DeMeo are good guys. We know them well. Um, we, we had a, our team already met with them this week, in fact. So we, we will do our best, as always, to endeavor to find common ground. And, and Governor, when uh, when I interview New Jersey leaders for this, for this New Jersey Globe Power Hour radio show, I I will reliably get some flack from people who who think I'm just I'm just too warm and fuzzy of a guy, maybe, but. But it prompts a question I have for you. Do, you. do you think the media sometimes focuses too much on gotcha questions and not enough on just hearing public officials and getting to know them? That's a good question. Um, I, I have to say, for the most part, the, the media, the press coverage that I see are, is, is overwhelmingly professional, legitimate questions you know, wanting to know answers. Occasionally somebody will get a, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the whole notion of a dog with a bone, they'll get something that they're <laughs> obsessed with and it yeah. gets very deep and they, they can't shake it. And I, I'm not smart enough to know necessarily always why that's the case, but that's more, you know, a, a disproportionate focus on one theme versus what I might see as a, as a different uh, balance of focus but we've been doing, we've now done probably, I think, maybe 300 COVID-related press conferences, if not 300, close to 300. And every single one of those, we've given every single member of the press there an opportunity basically to ask as many questions as they want. That's true. My I can attest to that. That's true. Is, 
is pretty significant, and I have to say, uh, for the most part, I may not like it always, uh, but for the most part, I think folks do a very professional job. And I haven't counted, but I I would be shocked if this was not a record number of press conferences by a governor. It's got to be, I would think. It has to be. It and has record to be. number, not, a, not only of press conferences, but questions uh, in those press conferences cumulatively. We probably field 30 to 35 questions per press conference. And at the peak of the pandemic, it was probably double or triple that. So, so, so I'm speaking with Governor Phil Murphy. Governor, where, where do you see... Uh, your legacy now as you as you you are now you know you may you may have run in your last election of your life I'm not going to ask you if you are you have you have or you haven't but but how important is the shaping of your own legacy going to be uh, in your governing in the next four years yeah first of all um, based on everything I know I have run in my last election secondly um, I don't spend a lot of time David on the legacy point, and maybe that's a shame on me. But I do think, you know, I mentioned it to somebody within the past couple weeks. I'd like to think when we turn the lights out that we're handing to whatever the next administration is a a really healthy and strong New Jersey to the next leadership team that, that, you know, that someday they'll say, you know what, these guys came in there. They said who they, they were who they said they would be. They grinded it out every day, and there's no question New Jersey's stronger, fairer, healthier, more equal. By the way, a state with its, you know, with a really strong Jersey attitude, getting our kicking our step back, um, a sense of pride. I mean, I, any, any of that would be something I'd, I'd feel quietly, extremely uh, humbled by. Do you have any idea who you, and I know it's early, who you'd like to see succeed you? Haven't thought about it. I, I'm. I'm I, gotta get, I gotta get. get we always got to be a step ahead, you know. Yeah, no, no, you're you're good to ask that, but no, 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 no insights on that one. We're just going to keep our heads down and do the very best job we can. Any insights on whether a short list for governor in 2025 ought to uh, include the first lady of New Jersey, Tammy oh, Murphy? My lord, help us. Uh, she would be incredibly flattered by your even asking that, uh, but I don't see that. But you should get her on, David, and ask her yourself. I will. I will. I don't know if she's going to answer it, but I will ask. That's a deal. Governor Phil Murphy, thank you for joining me, and uh, uh, best of luck. Congratulations on your uh, second inauguration on Tuesday. Great being with you, David. That means a lot. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. And this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You are listening to New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. We will be right back. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. John Bramnick was sworn in as a state senator uh, on Tuesday. He moved up to the Senate after nearly 18 years in the state assembly, including a decade as the minority leader. Senator Bramnick, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me, David. And it's 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 always a pleasure. I mean, Tuesday, Senator, was a, it's a significant life change for you. You spent spent you know a lot of years in the state assembly, a minority leader. I think you were the assembly minority leader longer than any other lower house minority leader in, in state history. So now you're a senator. What will that mean for, for you, for your constituents? When you're minority leader, you're wor- working between the governor and your 28 members, now 34 members. So you're really trying to bring the caucus together. As an individual senator, 
I think I'll have a little bit more freedom in terms of how I proceed. Because when you speak as the minority leader, you know, people are going to interpret that as you're speaking for the caucus. So I had to be a little bit circumspect when I spoke. I think you're going to see um, a little bit more, let's see, less, I'll be less circumspect. And you, Senator, have called for, you've been consistent on this for the last few years. You are a huge advocate for civility, for for political campaigns and issues to be, be fought on substance and not with personal attacks. I mean, why, what has led you to that belief and, and why does politics need to change? Well, people come from extremely different backgrounds or life experiences are very different. And consequently, you should understand that that person and I haven't seen evil in the state legislature. I've seen differences of opinion, but I do see evil on social media. So we have to be above that kind of nonsense that you see on social media. You get dragged into that. And to me, that threatens democracy. Democracy is strong opinions. You know, fight for what you think is right, but show respect for others' opinions. And sometimes you don't see that today because, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? So uh, I, I've never been like that. I never will be like that. And I think actually I think it makes both parties less trustworthy if you simply are mean and you're, you're hateful about the other side. And, I mean, I, I, saw, I saw on social media this morning uh, a congressional candidate in your district uh, uh, attack another candidate for a photo of him going for a, a haircut at the barbers. It was a year ago, and he and he posted today. Does I mean does that does that help? Does that help the process? Well, I think people want authenticity. So if you're posting something about somebody else's haircut, I don't think that's going to help you very much in getting elected. You may get a little attention, but the average person a little, just reasonable. not even that much though. What, what, I'm sorry. I'm not like, even much, right? Like like dozens of people see it. Not 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 a big deal. Yeah, well, you know, authenticity. People can see through this stuff. You can be aggressive as a politician, but they're going to know whether you're mean spirited, a wise guy, whether you're really looking for the public interest, or it's all about you. So that's why I think it's really important to be authentic and not be mean and hateful. So I look at I, I look at politics in New Jersey, and that's a great point. I look at politics in New Jersey now. I look at it at authenticity. I mean, you know, Brian Stack, different party than you, Mayor Union City. You are now colleague in the state senate. I mean, I don't I don't know if they come more authentic than him. His reputation is incredible. He does twenty four seven in his, in Union City. He is everywhere. And that's why people love him. It's not about Democrat or Republican, even though that's a pretty Democratic city. The bottom line is everybody respects him. I have never heard anyone say anything negative about Brian Stack ever. And your new colleague, Ed Durr, who, who you know, the, 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 the truck driver uh, from South Jersey with practically no money, who, who is the giant slayer. He beat Steve Sweeney. I mean, I'm... Uh, I don't know if you've gotten to know him yet. You, you've only been there a couple of days. But but one of the things that I'm told is, is the key for him is to remain authentic uh, you know, and stay true to himself and, and not not sort of go Trenton on his district. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. That's a Trump district. That was a Republican district. 
and he really he is authentic in terms of uh, you know I believe he's a hundred percent Trumper. I think he probably matches the district pretty well. I don't expect him to change at all. We may disagree on whether we are fans of Trump or not, but let me tell you something. There's a need uh, in that district, uh, obviously, for an editor. Otherwise, he would have never beaten Steve Sweeney. He is. There's no question he's authentic. I'll never argue that. And I'm I'm speaking with Senator John Bramnick, new senator from uh, Union County, parts representing parts of Somerset and Morris. And Senator of the New Jersey Globe, I'm, I'm sure you read it. Joey Fox did an incredibly uh, 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 detailed analysis of of the last governor's race, and and one of the things he found was that wealthy, well educated towns that used to be the bedrock of a Republican win, uh, they've now shifted heavily to the Democratic side. Phil Murphy won 10 of the 15 wealthiest towns and in and, and total by 16 points. Can Republicans win statewide without suburban voters? No. Uh, the situation is I represent Westfield Summit and Cranford. Uh, they all voted against Trump. We have to win back trustworthiness as a Republican Party. We cannot hedge our bets. And we need to call out behavior that we think is hateful. So when Trump talked about John McCain being a loser because he was a prisoner of war, you can't hedge your bets on that. Otherwise, what's going to happen is, in my judgment, in places like Cranford, Westfield and Summit, they're going to go, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. You can't hedge your bets with that kind of talk. So I think we have to be trustworthy we have to call out activity or should i say hateful rhetoric when we see it otherwise we are going to be in a minority party forever so let's talk about westfield you know the town well you were the republican municipal chairman there before you were an assemblyman uh i mean joey went back he, he looked at when tom kane ran for the governor the first time he won westfield he won westfield by 40 points chris christie the first time won it by 11 Murphy won it by 17. So that's a that's a 57 point shift. But but uh, guess who else won Westfield? Do you want to guess who else won Westfield this year? I won by eight votes. You you did. John Bramnick won Westfield. So how does how does that happen? Is that is what is that saying? Sort of as as you look at the whole state is well the the Republican brand. As I said, if we don't work on that brand right now, that brand is still in many people's eyes, Donald Trump in New Jersey. If that brand is identified with Donald Trump, we will not win statewide elections. And that's simple as that. Uh, People want to trust us. They want us. This state is likely to be in the middle of the political spectrum. So if they think the Republican Party here is a Trump party. We'll be in a minority, period. End of story. Right. We'll win places like Ed Durr's district, but we won't win the towns you just mentioned. But, Senator, I mean, one of, one of the things I, I saw, and I saw, I saw Chris Russell, a respected consultant, Republican consultant in Jersey, argued that, that you don't need the suburban towns. He said, he said that what you really need are, are, are these, these more conservative independents. And, and that's how, that's how Phil Murphy almost lost is that, is that non-traditional voters voted. Well, I disagree with Chris Russell. The brand of our party is key because people will know the candidate But if they go in and they don't feel good about the Republican Party and they don't feel it's the party of like George Bush or Ronald Reagan or Chris Christie, for that matter, 
if it looks like a party of Donald Trump, uh, I disagree with Chris Russell. We will lose. This is not a Trump state. It will never be a Trump state. And New Jersey rejects that type of rhetoric and that kind of behavior. And we must put forward a completely different image if we're going to win, period. And I'm speaking with Senator John Bramnick. Any preferences for 2024? Any any idea who you who you'd like to see me go up against Joe Biden or or whoever the Democratic nominee is? Well, it's a little early because I don't know who's running. Uh, So it's hard to jump on a horse at this stage. I can tell you that I think the Republican Party will realize they're going to need somebody who appeals to a broader audience than the 40 percent that Donald Trump held pretty consistently for a long period of time. And we have to be a party that is a party of civility, party of trustworthiness, a party that's respected. And uh, if we get involved in this hateful rhetoric, we'll lose again. And Senator, let me I want to ask you now that you're in the Senate, uh, you you get something uh, called senatorial courtesy. That means that that the governor can't nominate anybody out of all of Union County or out of the towns in Somerset and Morris that you represent without you you signing off uh that can be that can be a fairly uh partisan hammer with a uh, with a governor of the other side how how are you going to use courtesy how do you think the senate should uh affect wield that power as it relates to governor murphy's second term nominees well first you look for the quality of the candidate if the candidate you should we should support we should support the candidate on the other hand you can use that leverage on other issues, issues that the voters care about, issues about fiscal responsibility, you know, issues about less, you know, regulation, making it easier to survive as a business in this state, cheaper for people to live in this state. So you have a little bit more power, a little more access to the governor, and I believe a, a larger voice in the state of New Jersey because. They have to come and talk to you about appointees, and when they do that, you tell them what you feel about other issues. So I tend to use it uh, simply to have my voice heard, and and I have a good relationship with the Governor Murphy. May disagree with him, but personally, I like him, and I'm able, and I believe that he hears what I say, and I hear what he says. So, what about Senator Supreme Court appointments? I mean, there's there's uh, there's one that the Democratic Senate didn't confirm uh, since since last March of Rachel Weiner after. Uh, for Jenny Levecchia's seat, but but you have you have a Republican justice coming up in February. Uh, you have a Democratic justice up in July, and, and then I think I think Lee Solomon, a Republican, is up in two years. How important is it to you that the governor maintain the partisan balance of the the New Jersey Supreme Court? That's sort of become a a tradition in New Jersey. Very important balance on the Supreme Court is of the utmost importance to me because when when people end up in the supreme court these are issues that when these decisions are made they last for years sometimes centuries so whoever you put on that supreme court you don't want it way out to the left or way out to the right you want common sense people also you want lawyers who have practiced law you want lawyers who've been in the courtroom understand understand how trials work so i look for the experience of lawyers, especially trial lawyers, who've been in in the uh, trials and understand the impact of what is said to a jury and what juries do. 
And I'm speaking with John Bramnick, newly uh, sworn in state senator, but veteran of, of the New Jersey legislature. Uh, senator, I want to ask you about I mean, your, your last day in the state assembly was Monday. It was the lame duck session. Uh, there was a big vote on on a proposal to uh, to codify Roe v. Wade. Uh, you you are a pro-choice Republican. There's a lot of pro-choice Republicans in the legislature, uh, but none of the Republicans voted for this. What what was the the feeling in the caucus as to why a number of the Republicans abstained on the measure? I think the pro-choice Republicans wanted to basically take Roe versus Wade itself and incorporate that into New Jersey law. But this went way past that, and that's why I abstained on it because. You know, they had no discussions with the Republicans in my caucus. You know, they put things in this bill uh, about, you know, late stage abortions, things that could be interpreted in my judgment that even, um, you know, pro-choice people would have a concern with. So all I wanted to do was negotiate that, incorporate Roe versus Wade into the Constitution, but certainly not go as far as they went, which I thought was way way too far in terms of – uh, the uh, the choice of women to make that decision it just it just went past Roe versus Wade that's all should is is that something that you're gonna you're gonna look to uh, uh, work on with with the governor's office is is sort of a better relationship in advance of the votes and, and with communicating to legislators that aren't Democrats I think they have to do that with the Senate with the Assembly because we don't have courtesy because we don't have approval over appointments. Uh, and, and we don't have appointments of judges. I think it's true. I think it's more likely that the governor will listen to uh, people in the state Senate only because he has to. So, yes, the simple answer is no question about it. I'll continue to use my moderate, reasonable voice to try to move this state to the middle. And I think that's what the voters did in November. They tried to move the state towards the middle. And I think that's where most people are. And I, I, th- I think, and I think that's that's one of the things I hear from Democrats over and over since November second, uh, which is that that uh, I think it's going to be harder to move the Senate Democratic majority to the left this year than it was last year. Oh, a lot harder. If you remember the one bill where they were going to make police officers criminals if they told the parents that they saw the thirteen-year-old child using marijuana or drinking beer. And a governor signed that. I think that was a bill, a litmus test for how far left we had gone. And the reaction in terms of Ed Durr's district and other districts and, and the, uh, the ability of Jack Cittarelli to get close to Governor Murphy in terms of the outcome all has to do with, I think, they moved way too far left. You know, and, and look, I get it. That's where Phil Murphy is. But I don't think that's where the state is. I don't think they're that far left. And I don't think Nick Scatari is that far left either, or Craig Coffin. So is that your is that your in, in closing is that is that going to be part of your job as a state senator is to try and 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 make sure that the state stays where where you think it's going where it is. Yeah, I think it's going to be about common sense, and as my father used to say, everything in moderation. Right? People say, "Oh, don't eat any candy, don't eat chocolate, uh, don't do this, don't ever have any alcohol." Hey. Everything in moderation is what I learned from my dad. And Except buying stationery. You should buy a lot of stationery, right? Oh, well, that's true, too, of course. Uh, absolutely. And that was easy in the stationery business. <laughs> You're right. But I think that's true. I think everything in moderation, and I think in that regard, 
that people could get reelected over and over again. Authenticity and moderation, those are two things I think are important as an elected official in New Jersey. Well, it's an interesting message as we, we begin uh, 2022 and, and look where the state is. Senator John Bramnick, thank you, as always, for, for coming on. I hope we'll have a chance to speak again soon. Thank you, David. Have a great night. Thank you, Senator. And, and I will be right back. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And uh, during the break, I received a a text message uh, uh, regarding the first segment where I was talking about Justice John Wallace and congressional redistricting. And and I I was asked to, to... justified my complaint about gerrymandering somebody said well this is this isn't a gerrymandered map and and i i guess that's up for everybody else to decide but i'll i i i think it's fair so i'll i'll give you one example uh the democratic map uh that justice wallace picked put caldwell and that is a a white suburban essex county town and it was put into uh, an urban, economically struggling congressional district that had been represented by Mikey Sherrill, uh, by, before that by Rodney Freelingheisen, uh, before that by Dean Gallo, uh, but now, uh, next year, I think it'll be represented by Congressman Donald Payne. Uh, the justification to that, I'm, I'm told, was that Essex County College, which is based in Newark, has a a satellite campus in West Essex, and and, and I, I know the area. It's a small office building, really, not as much a big college campus. And it's uh, and and it was argued uh, that Newark and Caldwell should be in the same district, uh, so that they would keep the two campuses together to create this this thing that they call communities of interest, which is so overused sometimes. I don't even, I don't even know what it means anymore. Uh, but for some reason, not separating two county colleges into a different congressional district was important. And at least Justice Wallace agreed. He, he said he was impressed by the presentation. Uh, so, I mean, even if I were to overcome my my belief, the, the, the ridiculousness of that argument that county college campuses somehow need to be represented by the same member of Congress, even if I were to dismiss the idea uh, that other county college campuses across New Jersey were separated, they were they were put into into different districts uh, up, up and down the state, I mean, even if I could overcome all of those things, I still have one problem with a map that argued that Caldwell and Newark were communities of interest and should have been placed in the same district. And, and my issue, everybody, is this. The West Essex campus of Essex County College is not in Caldwell. It's in West Caldwell. 
for, for those of us from Essex County, you know, there's a there's a difference. We call it the Caldwells, but each one is in fact its own separate independent town. And and I, and I talked earlier about Justice Wallace maybe maybe not having a great grasp of of geography. Maybe his team didn't understand geography that well either. Uh, so so this map that Justice Wallace so carefully scrutinized, it put West Caldwell, where the other campus of, of Essex County College is, into the next door 11th district. Uh, so now you have Caldwell, you have Essex Fells, and, and uh, in Essex Fells, it's a very nice town. The annual property tax bill uh, in Essex Fells is, I'm told, more than the cost of buying an entire home in Newark South Ward. So uh, we got to have a, this real Real talk about communities of interest. So to the person that texted me, thank you. Uh, you know, but but again, you know, I'm 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 shocked to find that there's gerrymandering uh, going on here. That's just that's just the way it is. Uh, this is this is a big week coming up with the with uh, the governor's inauguration. But we saw uh, we saw a lot last week. Uh, Craig Coughlin reelected. Nicholas Scutari, the new Senate president, uh, he beat Nia Gill by by two votes. Uh, uh, I, I don't know, 20 years in the state Senate, she was only able to get her own vote and somebody else's. That is, that is, that is, that's a little strange. Uh, we have some, some other big news, I think, coming up, which is that Aura Dunn, Assemblywoman from Morris County, uh, really giving a lot of thought to running against Mikey Sherrill in the 11th District. She would be a top-tier Recruit, and she appeared before the Passaic County Republicans today uh, to talk about running. Uh, anyway, thank you again, everybody. We'll be back next Saturday. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you have been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.